every praise we could ever bring. Oh, you are worthy, Lord. Yeah. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Did it be I could give? 
could sing of your love, Lord Jesus. We could sing of your love, Lord. Sing of your everlasting love. This 
Thank you so much. So once again, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to third day of our STAIR conference. I hope you all have been STAIR up. Amen. Well, uh, as we all know, we have participants from different states. We also have new joinees who have just registered yesterday. We welcome you all as well. Well. So before we move ahead, me and my husband, on behalf of all the participants, we would like to take this opportunity to welcome our resource person for today. We are very glad and it's such a joy to have him in our midst. Uh, let's all welcome Pastor Sean Kikon, all the way from Kohima, Nagaland. Pastor Sean, we welcome you. Thank you so much for uh, taking time to be with us this morning and uh, yes we are so uh, overjoyed with your uh, acceptance and your response okay let me briefly introduce Pastor Sean okay Pastor Sean is the lead pastor of Faith Harvest Church Kohima okay you can go and check it online okay it's a wonderful church it's a very vibrant church and uh, I encourage you even to go and listen to some of his sermons right just yesterday me and my wife, we have decided, I think we should do a series on End Time Survival Kit in one of his podcasts, okay? So Pastor Sean is an amazing uh, uh, pastor, and he also is, has a heart for revival, okay? And he carries a very fatherly heart, and there's so much and so much for us to learn from this man of God, all right? And uh, so why don't we all get ready at this moment, right? And... Uh, get into that time of learning from Him, receiving from Him. Let's not miss it. Let's not miss even one single drop. Let's lick it up just like a dog licks the milk, right? A cat licks up the plate of milk. No, let that just, right, no? Let's do it, okay? No, what the Lord has is going to be amazing. Amen? Get ready with your materials, your notebook, your Bible, whatever necessary, and then don't move here and there, okay? And uh, here's the ground rule again. Please keep your video on, your camera, and yes, we are recording it live, and you can collect the sermon even later on, right? Please send us your request. And uh, that's it. So uh, let's prepare our heart and let's keep expecting from the Lord. Okay. Uh, so, Pastor Sean, the time is uh, up to you now. Okay, we give it to you, and may you have your time. Thank you, Pastor. 
Take your time, Pastor. Okay, thank you, uh, Monson and Mommy, for your warm and uh, you know endearing uh, introduction. It's such a joy for me to be here with you on this platform. I think this is the first time I'll be speaking to a group of people that are predominantly from Tripura, so it's a great joy for me. Um, of all the states in the Northeast, I think. Uh, Tripura is the only state that I have not been to. I've been to Assam, I've been to uh, Arunachal, uh, Manipur, um, Mizoram, and Meghalaya also to preach the word. I've been to Sikkim, I've been to the West Bengal, Siliguri area. So almost every state I've covered except Tripura. So even if it's just on the online platform, I will take this as a privilege to really believe that I am inside Tripura through your church and it's a blessing and a joy for me to be here with you this morning. Just want to greet each and every one of you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Also on behalf of the church, I want to greet every one of you. And <clears throat> as a church, we are really, really um, passionate about missions and about all the people groups in the Northeast. So, uh, it's a joy for us to be able to even connect with people from Tripura. So I just send greetings on behalf of the church to each and every one of you also. Okay, uh, Monson has given me a topic for today and it's called character and charisma. So I'll try to bring out some truths about charisma and character uh, from the word of God, but I would like to approach it from a slightly different angle in bringing uh, and a holistic picture of a Christian journey for an average believer into the mix of how we understand charisma and character. And I believe that as you listen to this, it will also help you answer questions in your own life regarding questions you may have about Christianity, questions that you may have <clears throat> had about things that you have seen in people's lives, things that you have seen in churches, in movements, and it will really help you to gain an overall mature understanding of the overall Christian experience. Before I start, I just want to ask you a certain questions, um, questions that I also had in my own journey with God, questions that I had in uh, my own prayer time with God that really bothered me, that uh, caused me to, you know, um, ask God questions, ask questions from people about certain things that I saw in Christianity. Uh, one of those questions was this, have you ever seen someone who is gloriously saved, powerfully touched by God, and then they begin a journey with God, experiencing the blessing of God, they begin to go to church regularly, 
Uh, they even begin to speak in tongues. They begin to be used by God. And they seem to be very strong in the walk with God. And then one day, some tragedy strikes, some problem happens in the family, or maybe there's a sickness, there's a death, or they experience some crisis. And then suddenly the love for God grows cold. Uh, they stop coming to church and soon they're out of church and they're out of fellowship. Okay. I see a lot of that in the body of Christ, whether it's in Christian cultures like Nagaland or in uh, places where Christians are relatively new joining in from other religions. I see a lot of that. And this also includes ministries, uh, ministries that seem to continually experience success. They were at the forefront of revival in the beginning. And it seems like after they fulfilled the vision and the dream, they seem to lose the vitality, the motivation, and they're just now maintaining the routines of Christianity without having the fire, without having the energy and the focus. Entire movements, entire denominations, uh, churches which were vibrant in revival movements are just now dead and just maintaining the facade. So we also see that a lot in ministries, in, in, in believers' lives, in churches, in movements, in denominations, and even in men of God. Mightily used by God in the past, but somehow they have seemed to become stagnant in the walk with the Lord. Or even a community, like for example, Nagaland experienced mighty revival in the 60s, in the 70s, uh, crime gone, you know, people going back to the shops to return what they have stolen. And then after a few years have passed, uh, the churches are all dead again, and the people are back to their old ways. So I'm sure all of us may have encountered a few of these scenarios. And as a young believer, when I was starting out, these were really um, things that, you know, caused my heart to ask a lot of questions. What, what, what happened? Uh, they were strong, they were vibrant, they were walking so closely with the Lord, and then suddenly everything seemed to fall apart. So those were also some of the things that made me uh, question my own faith. It made me question, um, you know, what churches were doing, what we are doing. Or maybe we're not really understanding um, what the Christian journey is about. So... In going through my own pain and going through my own questions uh, and confusion, uh, the Lord brought me to some understanding, which I would like to share with you all. And in that, I would like to bring out the truths of charisma and character. Okay, the first thing that I realized, you know, and of course, I'm sure all of you realize is that there is nothing uh, constant in life. There's nothing permanent in life. All of us are going through daily change. Uh, people are changing, nature is changing, societies are changing. Uh, the universe is always in a continuous process of change, whether it's gradual or whether it is happening speedily. And in fact, the only constancy that we, that we see in life is change itself. We don't see anything constant. The only constant thing that we see is that there's always change. You know, mountains are growing taller. Uh, trees are growing older. Our houses are decaying every day. Uh, societies are changing. Uh, even in America, we can see what was once a very 
uh, spiritual godly nations over the years deteriorated to become a very liberal and a godless society. So in the same way, our spiritual lives are also always in a constant process of change. Um, and that's something that we have to take our own personal responsibility over. Uh, our spiritual lives are always in a process of change. That means we can be decaying, we can be uh, getting familiar with God and getting stagnant, or we can be in a process of continuous change and renewal, regeneration, uh, dynamism, and it all depends on our walk with the Lord on a daily basis. And that's why we see in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, I'm just going to mention now uh, the scripture portions. You can take a note of that. I'm just going to paraphrase and quote it myself. If I have time, I'll just go to it. In Philippians 3, verse 13, Paul says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Written by a man who has planted several churches at that time, has had marvelous encounters with God, has had a revelation of grace, the new covenant, righteousness. And with all those experiences and the wealth of that revelation and wisdom from God, he continuously has that attitude that he has to keep on reaching forward for whatever God has prepared for him. And I think that this is a wonderful attitude for us to gain as Christians and also the wisdom to be able to understand what Christianity is. Because Paul says here that we must continually go forward. There's a constant need to change, to progress, to keep on walking with the Lord. Okay, and so... When we look at character, when we look at charisma, that underlying uh, wisdom is so important to be able to approach uh, the subject of character and charisma. Okay, Paul himself, with all his gifts, with all the character, with all the commitment, the strength, the experience he had, he was constantly reaching forward for what God has in store for him. That means whether he was 80 years, 90 years, whether he had attained some level of maturity, some level of authority, it did not satisfy him, nor was it um, the desired attitude or state to be in for a kingdom focus and a kingdom perspective for a Christian. Okay, so now I'm gonna to go to Matthew chapter four, verse 19 and start the message. In Matthew chapter four, verse 19, Jesus says to his disciples, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Okay? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So here I think we can sum up in a very brief manner what Christianity is. Our part is to follow Jesus. His part is to make us. And if you will simply understand these two emphasis, one is from God's side and one is from our side, I believe we'll be able to have a wise understanding of Christianity so that all these questions we have had about people, churches, movements, we will be able to place it in the right perspective and not stumble ourselves. Now, when someone comes and asks you, follow me, it speaks of two things. Where are we going to go? 
and how are we going to get there? If your friend comes and tells you, hey, follow me. The first thing that comes to your mind is, where are we going? The second thing is, how are we going to get there? Are we going to walk? Are we going to take a taxi? Are we going to take a bus? So the first thing it talks about is the destination. And the second thing is the journey. How are we going to get there? What route are we going to take? So when Jesus comes to his disciples and says, follow me, and I will make you, I believe the first thing that I could understand from that is that the destination and the journey is implied. Follow me. There's a destination that Jesus has for you and me. And that destination we know is heaven. That destination is not success. That destination is not um, to be blessed. That destination is not to be powerful, to be great, because all of that is always in the process of change. Churches which were once vibrant are now dead. So the destination is not on this earth. On this earth, we never reach a point where we can say we have arrived. You're always in a constant process of change. Nations, people, companies. So when Jesus says, follow me, he's pointing to a destination. But the destination is heaven. It is not on this earth. The second thing Jesus is pointing to is the journey. The journey is a Christian life here on this earth. So the invitation is to enter into a new walk with God. Of course, we have a new identity. We know that we are born again. We are new creation. But not only are we invited into a new identity as sons and daughters of God, we're also invited into a journey, into a walk. Now, this is one thing that I've seen that uh, many young believers lack the understanding of because maybe we have taught our teachers, all of us, a lot about identity and blessings and privilege. And so when believers give their life to the Lord, they somehow assume that they already have this new identity, they have this blessing. And so the emphasis depends, the emphasis seems to be more about who they have become and how valuable they are rather than on the journey. Okay. Now, even the identity you have, the blessings you have, all of that, the power of it, um, the experience of it, the application of it, it will not manifest, it will not be enjoyed unless you realize that Christianity is a journey with God. Jesus invites you into a journey to walk with Jesus, to grow with him, to to learn from him, to mature from him. And in the process, you become someone, you develop character. In the process, you use a charisma. In the process, there are places for you to go, there are things for you to do. Okay. So our journey begins when we meet Jesus Christ, accept him as a Lord and Savior, and receive the gift of salvation, um, the gift of the new birth, and our journey ends when we get to heaven. So on this earth, the destination never ends. In between our born-again experience and the end of the journey, our destination in heaven is what we call the Christian walk. 
Okay, the Christian journey. Now, let me ask you this question. Which is more important to you or for the believer? The journey or the destination? Which do you think is more important? It's important to clarify in your focus, in your thinking. Which is more important? Is the journey more important or is the destination more important? Both. Okay. Someone has said both. Someone may be thinking journey. Some people may be thinking destination. Okay, I want to submit to you that now, since you are a believer and you are born again, the Bible says, if you believe, you have eternal life. The Bible says, the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, you can have the assurance of salvation. So if you are a genuine believer, the destination is something that's already guaranteed to you in the blood of Jesus, in your faith in Jesus Christ, in the grace of God. Because salvation is not something we earn through our good works, through a lifetime of faithfulness, a lifetime of obedience. It is by our faith in God. So if you are a genuine born-again believer, the destination is already guaranteed. The destination is already, in a sense, reached. However, the journey is not guaranteed. So for the believer who is born again, I want to present to you this thought. The journey is more important to you than the destination. If the destination was more important to God than your journey on this earth, then even if somebody were to come and kill you right now, it would not be a loss. Because the moment you die, you are with God in heaven. You have reached your destination. If the destination was more important. However, you are still here on the earth. After you accepted Jesus Christ, you're still here on the earth. God has left you in your own state, in your own family, in your own circumstance, wherein you got born again. Why? And yes, with all the crisis and the problems and the sorrow and the pain that you go through, God has still left us here on the earth. Why? Because there is a journey that God has planned for us on this earth. And in that journey, there are things for you and me to do. A person to become. Wisdom to have. Maturity to develop into. People to bless. People to save. Places to go. People to influence. See, the destination is a done deal. It is settled in the blood of Jesus Christ. We cannot work to get to heaven. However, the fulfilling of your calling, your journey with God, 
your walk of faith is not guaranteed because here there is personal responsibility involved. Here, there's a life of holiness involved. Here, there is a life of faith that is involved. All right. However, if I look back in my own church experience and I look back in the traditional religious environments, it seems to me, I may be wrong, but it seems to me that Christians are more interested in the destination than in the journey. Christians are more focused on the destination than in the journey. So they put more of their spiritual emphasis, their prayer life, their zeal, their focus on the destination rather than the journey. So it produces faulty thinking, false expectations, and disillusionments. For example, let me just give this simple example. I was sitting with the deacon of a church. And he asked me, what do I do? I said, well, I'm a pastor in the church. So he told me, oh, yeah, I'm also a deacon. And you know what? I, I work very hard. We have to do good works because only by our good works, uh, we will go to heaven. So just put his statement into context. He's an influential person in his community. He obviously has means, resources, he's mature. He's a deacon in the church, a leader. But all his spiritual focus, his mindset, his vision is, my good works are for the purpose of going to heaven. So his focus is not missions. His focus is not uh, you know, loving the poor, loving the lost. His focus is, I have to get to heaven. But heaven is already guaranteed if you're born again. So you are focusing on something you already have. Okay. I've seen Christians, you know, every time they pray, uh, revival meetings, church, prayer house, prayer and fasting, they're always praying, Lord, uh, don't forget me. Take me to heaven, Lord. Take me to heaven, Lord. Take me to heaven. So again, because of the lack of good teaching and the lack of assurance of salvation, the focus is heaven, heaven, heaven. So rather than focusing on how can I successfully finish my journey and leave a legacy of a faith life on the earth, the focus is always on earning my salvation and going to heaven, which is already guaranteed. Other examples. On a day-to-day -day basis, Christians don't want to obey God, but we want to go to heaven. The daily life of um, submitting your will to God, sacrificing the desires of your flesh. I think one, I think it was Sarsundar Singh or another author, I, I don't remember exactly right now. Um, you know, people say, you know, I'm ready to die for Jesus. I'm ready to be a martyr for Jesus. Uh, some people would even say, well, it must be very hard to die for your faith. And this particular man of God said, um, dying for Jesus is easy. Living for him every day is the hard part. So if Christians are always focused on going to heaven, but they don't live on a day-to-day -day basis in obedience, 
it means that we are more focused on the destination rather than on the journey. Again, parents come to church and they say, oh, my son has reached 16 years old. My son is now 17 years old. It's time for him to be baptized. So the son has never been to church. They don't come to discipleship. They don't come to teaching. But they just want baptism because the thinking is, if my son or if I'm not baptized, I will not go to heaven. So get baptized. But daily discipleship, daily process of growth is not in the focus. Okay. Or let's talk about how Christians, they want quick results. Husband and wife will come for counseling and they say, Pastor, please pray for us. Pray for our marriage, that it will be a good marriage. We're having problems in our marriage, Pastor. So please pray that all the problems will go away. All the difficulty will go away. Pastor, if you pray, God will answer your prayer. And we tell those people, hey, we are having a seminar next week for marriage. Can you come to the seminar? Ah, pastor, no time for seminar. Pastor, no time for teachings. We just want quick miracle. Have you ever experienced that in your own life or with people? You see, when believers just want quick revert, quick, quick miracle, quick result, without understanding that a blessed marriage is a process. It's a process. Every day, there's a process of change. So a blessed marriage is a process of character, pruning, learning, teaching, submitting, humility. A blessed marriage cannot just happen by one laying of hands and prayer. But believers want that quick result more than committing to a process. People will come and say, Pastor, please pray for me that I will have faith. Pastor, please lay hands on me. And if you lay hands on me, I will have faith. I'll become a strong Christian. And somehow nowadays, I really don't want to pray for people to give them false expectation that one laying on of hands, they'll become a strong Christian. Because they won't. Lay hands once, they have faith. They think like that. What is that? That is being destination-focused and not journey-focused. To have a blessed marriage is a journey. To become a strong Christian is a journey. But Christians want miracle, quick fix. You know, the millennium generation, we press a button, we want the fast food to come to us. KFC, you know, McDonald's, immediately. So we want faith immediately. We want the miracle immediately. Pastor, I want to be a millionaire. I want to be a successful man. Okay, here's what you need to do. You need to study. You need to walk with the Lord. You need to practice tithing and giving. You need to develop the right disciplines. Ah, pastor, it takes too long. It's too hard. I just want quick money. So in Nagaland, a lot of young people open up businesses. And they say, pastor, please come and pray for a business. We want to be good and rich and successful. Within six months, the business is closed. And you come and ask them, what happened? Ah, pastor, the profit is too slow. Can't wait. We just want quick, 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 quick. Pastor, I want to have a great ministry. Go to Bible school for three months. Come out and expect that you have a worldwide ministry, anointed ministry, 
and we tell people, well, here's what is needed to have a good ministry. There's a process. There's a journey. Ah, pastor, it's too long. It's too hard. We invite people for discipleship class. We invite people for seminars. Very few people will come. You invite people for revival meeting, miracle meeting. Church is full. What's the problem? The problem is Christians are destination focused and not journey minded. And that is why they experience heartbreak, discouragement, disappointment. That's why they give up too easily. Because we want to get to our destination so fast without realizing that for the Christian, there is no destination on this earth. Our destination is follow me. Every day, follow Jesus. Every year, follow Jesus. Every decade, follow Jesus. When you are 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old, there's no retirement. See, pastors retire. Reverends retire in denominations. Well, who started the retirement policy? Was it God? Caleb was climbing the mountain when he was 85 years old and killing his enemies. Now this pastor say, oh, I'm already 60 years old. I'm already old. See, for the believer, there is no retirement. You always continue walking with God, new assignments, new places, new things to do. So why are Christians destination-minded and not journey-minded? It's because we want shortcuts too quick. We pray, we ask some evangelists to pray, and then we expect immediate results rather than learning God's principles, learning faith, learning discipleship, and walking in a journey with God. We want the destination, the blessed life, the blessed marriage, but we do not want to go on the journey. You see, in everything in life, whether it's even in the secular world, gold medal doesn't come immediately. I mean, this uh, our dear Manipuri lady who won the silver medal, I mean, she trained for over five years, every day. But that's the part we, I just want quick result because somehow, you know, there's nothing wrong with miracles. There's nothing wrong with signs and wonders. There's nothing wrong with power. But in the charismatic church, because we emphasize so much power, healing, miracle, come to church, get your miracle, get your breakthrough. We have released a false expectation to the charismatic believers that just one prayer, one event, one prayer and fasting, all your problems will vanish. And the problem is that kind of thinking. Jesus said, follow me, me, me. Not a revival, not a church, not some breakthrough revival meeting. Follow me. Journey with me every day. Every day, get on this bus with me and let's drive. So Jesus' focus for us is be journey-minded. 
journey-minded, journey-focused. So success, a great marriage, prosperity, testimony, a great ministry, a blessed life, a strong faith is all part of the process of the journey. All part of the journey. In fact, everything you will experience in Christianity is part of the journey. It is not a destination. See, there was a time I thought, when I get filled with the Holy Spirit and I speak in tongues, that's it. Ah, nothing greater than that. So I got filled with the Spirit. I spoke in tongues. But then after that, I realized, what is next? After I speak in tongues, after I have that wonderful experience, rolling on the floor, filled with the power of God, I still have the next day to walk with God. So I thought maybe the ultimate, maybe I start prophesying. Maybe the ultimate is when the power of God comes and fills me to overflow. So I chased those experiences. I chased those events. But I realized even after the event, the next day in the morning, you still have to get up and walk with God for the new day. There was a time I thought when I achieve a certain type of success, I speak to 1,000 people. I speak to 10,000 people. I, I experience the miracle of deaf ear opening, a blind eyes opening. You know, that would be the ultimate. And I prayed and I pushed for those things. And after I experienced those things, when I finished the meetings and I'm coming back to my own hometown on the bus, on the train, or on the flight, I realized my flesh still disturbs me. My eyes still bring temptation. I still get tired. I still get frustrated with people. I still want to shout at my wife. And then I realized with all the wonderful experiences, I am not the complete product. There's still a journey that I have to take. See, we think that we will all attain a certain level where everything will get easy. It never happens. Okay? See, all of these things, the power, the anointing, our experiences, knowledge, prosperity, the anointing, they're all part of the journey. They are not the journey. Do you get it? They are part of the journey. The anointing is part of the journey. The charisma, the gift that God gives you, it is part of the journey. Let's talk a little bit what charisma means from the word charisma. Okay, Charisma is um, the Greek word, um, which means gift. And the word charis is there, so it's a grace gift. It comes freely. So the singular is charisma. The plural is charismata. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charismata of the Holy Spirit. That means these are all grace gifts given freely. But not only is charisma defined as a gift that comes from God, to an individual, but charisma puts something in us. It could be a leadership ability. It could be an anointing. It could be authority. It could be like a worship leader worshiping. And it's not only the gift of singing, but there's something in you 
that is divine. There's something in you that gives you ability. There's something in you that gives you authority. There's something in you that sets you apart from others. Okay. There's something in you that, that appeals to people, that um, causes people to be attracted to you, that pulls people towards you, to make them confident towards you. That is like a magnet that draws people to you and causes people to be confident in you as a leader or as a believer, as a brother. Okay. That is called charisma. Charisma is not personality. I'm talking about the biblical way to look at it. In the world, in the secular world, someone who's very well-dressed, has good manners, has, you know, a wonderful presence on stage, we call that charisma. But in the spirit, that would not be defined as charisma itself. Charisma is a gift, but more importantly than just a gift from the Holy Spirit and from God, it is a certain blessing, a certain grace that is upon you that sets you apart. Maybe when you speak, it, there's a spark in people's lives. When you're on stage, it gives confidence to people. There's something that draws people to you. never stop we never stop growing we never stop um, maturing okay now psalms 37 verse 23 i just want to read it out to you the bible says here the steps of a good man are ordered by the lord steps of a good man of course that can also refer to a christian are ordered by the lord so every step has been ordered has been destined has been predestined has been planned by the lord okay which tells me that in your journey with god there are steps god has planned for you there are steps that god has prepared for you designed by god ordered by god and our obedience our following of jesus on a day-to-day -day basis season by season basis causes us to experience those steps now, when you know that when you take a step, one step, another step, another step, another step, is that every step brings you to a different level. You take the steps, you go to the first floor, take the steps, you go to the second floor. So every step is designed to take you to a different level and a different stage of your life. You follow that? Okay. So this means this. We live life your Christian life, you live in levels. You can also call it seasons. Paul says, your eye has not seen yet, your heart is not yet conceived, your ears have not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. That means God has prepared different levels, different seasons, different stages of your Christian life. It is not going to be always the same as what you are experiencing today. Your wisdom is going to grow. Your character is going to grow. Your liberty is going to increase. You're going to become more victorious, stronger. You're not always going to be in this level. 
when you follow Jesus Christ, you will never be the same. So the same person that was there last day, you're not the same. See, the, pro- the mistake we make in Christianity is we judge people by what we saw them two years back. And we think they are the same. But if they have been walking with God, they are not the same. They have changed. They are constantly in a process of transformation. Even biologically, it's proven that your body changes cells every two years. And of course, as you grow older, more. But the same person you saw me two years back, even the body, is not the same because every cell has changed. All right. So you're not going to be in the same level where you are. Right now, you may be thinking, well, I'm confused. I'm weak. I have addictions. I'm not a man of character. Don't worry about it. Just focus on the journey, following God. And when you do that, God will live. God will bring you. Christianity is lived in levels and stages. So every one of you is in a different level, in a different stage of your life. And every step that you take advances you to a new level. When you follow Jesus, it's always bringing you to a different level. What is important to go from level to level is knowledge. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, God says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Not the lack of power, the lack of knowledge. Okay? Not the lack of money, the lack of knowledge. So when you understand that we live life in stages, in levels, then now I begin to understand that, wait a minute, the problems, the crisis that I go through, even if I backslide, Okay. The pain I go through. Whatever I experience, positive or negative in the Christian life, it is not a negative. Crisis is not negative. Problems is not negative. Persecution for the Christians is not negative. Because for the child of God, every crisis is positive. Crisis only reveals the cracks that I need to work on in my own character. Crisis reveals to me what new knowledge I need to have. Let's say, for example, sickness. Now I have to fight this sickness. It's a life-threatening sickness. So this crisis, God is going to use it To make me hungry for healing, for faith, to go into the word, to pray, to seek. And by this crisis, I will grow in the knowledge that God has healed me in Christ. I will grow in the knowledge of faith. And by overcoming the sickness, I reach a new level of faith in my walk with God. Fear. When I started on the ministry, the first attack upon my life was fear, tremendous fear, spiritual attack. I would begin to have panic attacks. I began to be depressed. And I would pray so many times, Lord, take away this fear from my life. Lord, take away this fear from my life. But the fear did not leave. 
So I began to just focus on my journey with God. It doesn't matter whether the fear is there. It doesn't matter whether I'm depressed. Every day I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the Lord. So in my journey with God, as I grew to the knowledge and understanding of his grace and his love, and I grew in the understanding of his father heart towards me and how valuable I am, slowly the insecurities left me, the fears left me, and I entered into greater peace, into greater stability. So the crisis was positive because the crisis was an opportunity to learn from God, to gain more knowledge. And by overcoming the crisis and gaining new knowledge, the new knowledge took me to a different level. So for the Christian, the child of God, never look at crisis as a negative. Never look at problems as a negative. Never look at persecution as a negative. Because we know all things work together for good to those who love God. Goliath was a problem to the army of Israel. Every soldier saw Goliath as a problem. And for 40 days, they were in fear of Goliath because there was this mountain of a man, this giant, that is a problem to the success of Israel. But when David came, David saw Goliath as an opportunity. As an opportunity to marry the king's daughter. As an opportunity to gain more riches in life. And to exempt his family from income tax. The average Israelite saw Goliath as a negative problem. David saw Goliath as an opportunity. So crisis is important. Even when you backslide, it's revealing something that needs to be addressed. Okay. So for you, if you fall into sin, if you, it's not a negative. Just forgive. Ask forgiveness, pick yourself up, check where you need to make the adjustments and keep on following Jesus Christ. See, it is only through crisis that you can measure your strength and your growth. It's only through crisis we grow. Amen. That's why the Bible says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. You do not realize your strength unless you experience crisis. You do not know how strong your immune system is unless you get infected by some virus. So for the Christian, Christ is always in the middle of every crisis. Okay, so we live life in stages. We arrive in levels. Each step takes us to a new level of knowledge. Husband and wife always fighting, 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 fighting about the divorce, they come to the pastor. The pastor says, you need knowledge of how to have godly marriage. So husband and wife go and study. They study, they study. They come to seminar, they get counseling, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife. Humble yourself. And as they keep on gaining new knowledge and applying it in their life, their marriage prospers. Their marriage becomes healthy. Their marriage becomes so blessed that other couples come and ask them, can you come and share with us about how to have 
a godly marriage. Can you come and be a resource person? So this couple about to divorce, having crisis, are now teaching people how to have godly marriage. How? The crisis revealed the cracks. As they repaired the cracks, God increased the level and the influence. Amen. Hallelujah. So knowledge is so important, whether it's charisma or character that we will be walking in. Knowledge is so important because knowledge is authority. Knowledge takes you from level to level. Every level in Christianity is about knowledge. Now, that knowledge is, must become revelation. When it becomes revelation, it takes you to a new level. Whether it's of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I remember in the beginning of my walk with the Lord that God would use me in healing. God would use me in prophecy. But it was at a low level, a very basic level. So that was the charisma of the Holy Spirit functioning through my life. However, as I grew in knowledge, knowledge of his love, knowledge of his grace, knowledge of the gifts, knowledge of God, when I had more revelation about how the Holy Spirit operates, the charisma grew, the anointing grew. Okay? That's why the devil does not want you to read the Bible. Have you ever been challenged not to read the Bible? Sometimes we just want to worship, oh, worship, worship, worship. But reading the Bible, ah, we don't want to read the Bible. It's boring to read the Bible. See, the devil doesn't want you to read the Bible. He, would, that he doesn't mind you jumping, shouting, screaming, rolling on the floor. But the moment a Christian opens the Bible and begins to read and study it, it becomes dangerous. Because we fight with truth, not with emotions. Jesus did not defeat Satan when he was praying and fasting with emotions, with jumping and shouting and screaming. Jesus said, it is written, it is written. It is written. Jesus fought with the Bible. The Bible will give you knowledge of God. Knowledge of God will give you authority. So God uses crisis. God uses the wrong circumstances. God uses the imperfect situations in your life to force us from level to level. Okay? Now, levels are also different. For some people, you may accelerate in a certain season, and in a certain season, it may seem like you are not growing at all. But the main thing is, focus on your own journey with God. Follow Jesus. Don't follow another believer. Don't say, we were in the same Bible school, suddenly he's become pastor, and I'm still not doing anything. You see, your journey is different. Benny Hinn's journey is different. The other preacher's journey is different. My journey is different. I must focus on my own journey. You need to focus on your own journey. 
Paul had to wait for 14 years before he stepped into his calling as a missionary. For those 14 years, all he was doing was sharing his testimony from fellowship, from life group. So discouraged if what was desired is taking long. With the that your friends seem to be going faster than you, developing more than you. God has something for everyone. Okay. Now, why these things are important is this. Now I'm coming to the main point. It's designed not only to fulfill your destiny, but also to deepen your character. Your character. To God, your character is more important than your comfort. God gives you charisma to help you on your journey. God gives you charisma to help people on the journey. But on the journey, God also wants to transform your character. Okay? So comfort is what Christians look for. But character is what God is looking for. Listen to me carefully. When a Christian comes and says, Pastor, please pray for me that immediately I'll be blessed. Immediately this pain will go away. Pastor, please pray for me that there'll be no problems. Pastor, I don't want any problems. I don't want my husband to create problems. I don't want my children to create problems in the house. I just want peace. What that mother is asking for is comfort. But maybe God has put you into a circumstance. God has put you under a hard employer. God has put you among a people that seems to be quite irritating to you so that he can make character out of you. Okay, there was a time when I would be praying, young believer, 1998. Lord, please give me more love. Lord, please give me more love. Lord, please make me more loving. So I'm praying that prayer. And I realized that during the day, all the most irritating people I started meeting. Okay, I'm praying, Lord, please make me more loving. And during the day, all these people make me so impatient. The most irritating people I face. So at the end of the day, the next day I'm praying, Lord, I asked for my heart to be filled with more love. And how come you sent all these irritating people into my life? What I didn't realize was that God was answering my prayer. How can I have more love if I cannot love the irritating people? So because I was asking Lord more love, he was sending these people who are not easily lovable so that I can love them. And by choosing to love them, I will walk in more love. You see, so the crisis around you, your circumstances, God has put you in the right family. God has put you in the right church. God has put you in the right circumstance to transform your character. However, we always say, I 
Lord, I don't like this church. I don't like my friends. I don't like my family. I don't like my tribe. I want to be in America. I want to be in Delhi. I want to be in Mumbai. We just want comfort. We just want the blessings without realizing that God is actually targeting character. Comfort is temporary, but character is eternal. In fact, blessings are also temporary, whereas character is eternal. Okay? So let's talk about charisma and character. Again, the Greek word charisma means favor or gift. Favor or gift. So it's something that God gives to you. It's something that God puts into you. It's something that God releases upon you. Charisma looks like something. And it looks different on different people. I remember when I was in Bible school and we had a teacher in Bible school in Rema in America. His name was Doug Jones. And he would come up to the stage and he had such a charisma of teaching. Okay. He was not always dressed in the most fashionable, best way. He did not have always the best haircuts, the most fashionable um, he was not a very good-looking person. However, when he taught, he had such an attractive quality that everyone's heart, mind, and soul was so drawn to his teaching because he taught with such passion. He taught with such anointing. He taught with such zeal. When you open up the word, the word would become a life that everyone's favorite teacher and class was his class. That's what we mean by charisma in the Christian perspective. It's not always about, you know, um, talking very good, having good presence on stage, um, you know, having a good personality. No. Charisma, it's more than just a gift. It's a grace that you see upon a person. Okay. What is character? Character very your moral qualities. Or to put it another way, character is who you really are when you're all by yourselves. A word that can describe character is integrity. Integrity means whole, whole, wholeness, wholeness. Integrity means um, you are the same outside and you're the same inside. You're the same on the stage and you're the same at home. You know, you know, when you're a pastor for so long, you see so many things in my own life in church also. Sometimes you see people when they come to church, events on the stage, Lord, I'm hungry for you. Lord, I'm hungry for you. Lord, I want more of you. On the stage, everyone's like, ah, oh, that sister, ah, oh, that sister, she's so spiritual. Ah, oh, that sister, she loved God so much. But when she go home, at home, she never say, Lord, I want you. At home, she's, she's not passionate. At home, she's not emotional. On the stage, she can be. Even me as a pastor, I've done that. Why? Because we do those things to impress people. Okay, so character is who you are before God. 
character is like a tea bag. Okay, you put the tea bag into hot water, and then you will know the smell, the color, and the taste of the tea. The only way you find out character is when you put the Christian into hot soup, into crisis. Okay, so character is not only about your personality. It is not about just your charisma. Character is a description of who you are as a Christian. Character is, I would say, Christ-likeness. When it begins to become a part of our lifestyle, our choices, our moral uh, disposition of life. So charisma, let's differentiate the two. Charisma is something that God gives us. It's an endowment of God. Character is something that God produces from us, from within us. So charisma is a gift. You can receive it even the moment you become born again. But character is a transformation that is a part of your journey with Jesus Christ. A great example is the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, they were experiencing revival. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14 to the church so that they can have order in the service, how to speak in tongues, how to prophesy, because they were experiencing revival. But the same church that was experiencing revival was also having problems of people getting drunk during communion. They were fighting among one another and they were having different camps in the church. They were divided and they were even doing, some people were in sin in the church. So it was a church full of charisma, full of the gifts, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but also very immature, very carnal. So you can have charisma without character. You can also have character without charisma. But I believe the ideal is this, just like Jesus, to have charisma full of the Holy Spirit and also to have character because that is the kingdom model for every Christian, that you have charisma, anointing, giftedness, but you also have character. You model the character of Jesus Christ. Okay. Certain things to understand. Charisma is free. That means even immature believers can have charisma. Character is a process of walking. So there's a certain price we pay for character. You have to crucify your flesh. You have to be disciplined. You have to let go of wrong attitudes, wrong lifestyle, wrong choices. So in a sense, for character, there's a price you pay. It's called the crucifying of yourself. Charisma is free. Character is developed. All part of our journey with God. Charisma will attract people to you. But character will make people trust you. There's a difference. Charisma will open doors. When you have a person with charisma, churches are like, hey, come and preach. Come and pray for the sick. God is using you. So charisma will open doors, but character 
will make sure you stay in the opportunity that has been given to you. See, the world, even the church, is full of stories of people full of charisma, but they do not have the character. So because of the gift, money comes, fame comes, popularity comes, but they're not able to handle the fame and the money. So the character, because it's not developed, they begin to develop fear. They begin to develop addictions. They begin to develop wrong lifestyles, wrong choices. Okay. There was a case of the Hillsong pastor recently. It's all out in the open, so I can talk about it. Carl Lenz from Hillsongs in New York, how he had such charisma. People were attracted to the church because of his charisma. And part of that was the fleshly charisma, not the spiritual charisma. But he did not have the character. So he began to abuse his power by having, you know, an affair with someone. Um, so that's what we mean by the difference between charisma and character. Charisma can open a door for you, give you an opportunity, but character will keep you and protect you. Charisma is a gift. Character is a price you pay. Charisma can be received by yourself with God. Prayer, you go into the mountains, you pray, pray, pray. You receive charisma from God. But character can only be developed in your relationship with the body of Christ. To develop character, you need to be with people. Because you need to develop patience. How can I develop patience unless I'm with impatient people? How can I develop love unless I have to give love to people? So character is always developed in a family, in a church context, in relationship with other people, because God uses people to polish you. That's why I always tell my, you know, uh, church members, my wife is God's polishing stone. God uses my wife to polish me. Why? Because character is always developed in relationship with people. That's why being a part of a church being a part of a fellowship is so important to develop character. It's so important for our protection in the Christian life. It's so important for our journey with God. Charisma is for the public, it's for the people. Character is before God. Charisma will promote your ministry. Character will protect your ministry. Difference is we can see in the life of Saul or in the life of Samuel. Okay. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 3, and we'll close here. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 3. Here is the prophet Samuel speaking, and we know that Samuel was a person full of charisma, gifts, prophesying. He could hear from God at a young age. The Bible says, not one word that he spoke fell to the ground. That means God brought every prophecy he spoke to pass. This is what he says at Saul's coronation. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. 
And they said, the Israelites, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hands. Samuel was the most powerful man in Israel before King Saul. He was a judge. That means he could have exploited his position. He could have exploited his charisma to manipulate and to cheat and to abuse the people. But not only was Samuel anointed, you could see he had a heart of integrity. His legacy, the testimony he leaves behind is that I have not cheated anyone. I have not abused my authority or my gift. And I have not been unrighteous or wrong in anything that I have done as a leader. So you can see Samuel's life from the beginning as a young boy in the temple all the way to the end, a life of integrity. Okay, a life of integrity. And I think for a Christian, this is so important to understand that as you follow Jesus Christ, it's not only about blessings. It's not only about power. It's not only about encounters. It's about the person you are becoming. What kind of person are you becoming in the journey? Because the journey is more important than the destination. It's not only about where you are going, but who you are becoming in the process. The question is, what kind of person are you becoming right now? I'm not talking about your identity in Christ. Some people can identify, confess, I'm a believer, I'm a child of God, I'm a righteousness, but still be so rude, still be so full of impatience, so full of anger as a Christian. I'm talking about what are you transforming into as a believer, as a leader? Are you becoming a person full of greed or generosity? I've seen some people become more greedy after becoming Christian, huh? I've seen some people become more judgmental after becoming Christian than before. Are you becoming a person full of bitterness or full of love? Are you becoming a flower or are you becoming a thorn? Are you becoming a septic tank? Or are you becoming a perfume bottle? Amen. Success in God is designed in such a way that you have to have character. Your journey with God is designed in such a way that character will be developed. If you follow Jesus daily, he will develop character out of you. And that's why our relationship with him is more than just father and son. It's also between a potter and the clay. And that is a tough part because the potter is shaping you, making you do things you don't want to do, like submit to a harsh leader. Submit to a young leader. When I was in Bible school and I was part of the ushers group, the main usher captain, the leader was 18 years old and I was 25 years old. And he was not even properly finished out of high school. And I had finished my MBA. And I was like, ah. How can I be submitting to someone 18 years old? 
and I know more than him. I'm smarter than him. All these thoughts, I was struggling on the inside. And what did God say? Submit. Why? When you follow Jesus Christ, he's not only taking you from place to place, people to people. He's also developing character out of you. So when you face crisis in your journey, obstacles, hindrances, don't take it as a negative. Don't get frustrated. Don't get discouraged. No. God is going to shape character out of that. So submit to God. Remember, God commits more revelation, more charisma, more anointing to those who have character. God commits to faithfulness, not to giftedness. So you have charisma and you have character. Both are important. Character, charisma comes free. But when you use charisma with character, God will release more charisma upon you because he can trust you with more. More anointing. Because more authority, more influence over people, more people to be a leader over. Because he knows that you will not cheat them, you will not abuse them, just like Samuel. So your character is essential to your success. God will commit resources. God will commit influence. God will commit authority to those who walk in character, who allow God to transform their heart. So every time you face a crisis in your walk with the Lord, always first look within, Lord, what are you doing in me? When you face a leader who is tough towards you, when you face a hindrance, you know, when you face even persecution, just look within, Lord, what are you doing with me? Is there anything you want me to change? Is there any attitude you want me to, to, to surrender? Okay, understand this. The kingdom of God is in you before it comes outside you. So God always will work first inside before he works outside. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. So added unto you is outside. Seek first the kingdom is inside. So seek first the kingdom. Let the kingdom grow deeper. Circumcise your flesh. Let the Holy Spirit work more in your character. And then you will see more and more blessings outside. More charisma outside. Amen? So character is critical to following Jesus. Because when you follow him, he makes you. He says, follow me and I will make you. So character is what he makes out of us. He transforms us. Now, when Jesus says, follow me, you may be wondering, am I qualified? Am I good enough? Will I be able to follow him all the way successfully to the end? What if I backslide when I'm 50 years old? We have all these questions. Okay. Now, Jesus never said, follow me because you're qualified. Jesus never said, follow me because you are strong. He simply said, follow me. And he said, I will make you. I will make you. So don't worry about your insufficiency. Don't worry about your imperfections. Don't worry about your inadequacies. Don't worry about your lack of knowledge. Don't worry about your weakness. Don't worry about any of those things. 
just follow me and I will make you, he said. He's the potter, we are the clay. He will make us. Christians are not self-made people. Christians are Christ-made people. He will make you. Can you make yourself better or can Christ make you better? See, so our part is simply to follow. Whether I fall again, pick myself up. I fall 10 times, pick myself up 10 times. I backslide 100 times, pick myself up 100 times and just keep following him. Because my part is to follow him. His part is to make me. My part is to follow him. His part is to make me. And as I journey, the making is in the process of the journey. As I simply walk with God, daily read the word, daily pray. I think the two most important disciplines, daily read the word, daily pray, daily sit at the feet of Jesus. He's making me. He's making me. He's making me. Today, I may be a caterpillar, but tomorrow I'll be a butterfly. Today, I may be weak, but tomorrow I'll be strong. Today, I may have no knowledge. Tomorrow, I'll be teaching people the word of God if I just keep on following him. And as you follow, God will develop character and God will release charisma. And that will help you and make you stronger in your journey. All right? Okay. That's all I have for today. Thank you so much for being patient, Monson and Mommy. Sorry for taking an extra eight minutes. I hope you all are blessed. Let me just pray a prayer over all of you. Shall we pray? Father, I just pray for uh, Trinity Worship Center and for all the people that are here, Lord God. And Father, I thank you that through this teaching today, you have given them wisdom, understanding. You have given them, Lord, insight into their own journey. And I believe that you have spoken to them individually about their own journey with you. And you have answered several questions and you have removed cobwebs from the thinking, from the mind. And I believe that, Lord, you have established a proper foundational truth of Christianity so that, Lord, uh, the discouragements and uh, the, the frustration and the angst that some of them had in their hearts, you have removed and you've put peace, oh, Lord, because your truth brings peace. And I pray that, Lord God, you will give them a proper focus and a proper direction in that, Lord God, as they follow you. Because you have called them to follow you, not some church, not some man of God, not some denomination, not even a movement, not even revival. You have not called them to follow revival. You have called them to follow you and you and you alone, Lord. So give us the heart. Give us the understanding. Give us the purity of our focus that, Lord, we are here only to follow Jesus every day. That despite whatever is happening around the world, whatever is happening in the church, whatever stories, men of God have fallen, men of God are doing well. Father, I pray that we will not follow personalities. We will not follow and make idols of people in the body of Christ or even of movements, even of our encounters and our experiences. But I pray that you will give us grace to follow Jesus every day, O Lord. And as we follow Jesus, Father, I thank you that you are making us, transforming us, bringing us from level to level, transforming our character, O Lord. I pray that you will release that grace, that blessing upon each and every person right now, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.